Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I am here with, quote, Glenn Willis, unquote. <laughs> uh, we are recording on a Sunday night, uh, a day after the Celtics loss, and sometime before the Hawks go and play the Minnesota Timberwolves at home. Uh, just starting off the top, uh, I was sitting with Wes last night, well, you know, watching some players warm up, and we're looking at Blake Griffin, and you know, just as a question, I said, you know, are we going to see Blake Griffin in any sort of non-garbage time tonight? Seemed like a fair question, you know, some some chance he might, some chance he might not. And lo and behold, the person that we did not see was Grant Williams. What the heck is that? I don't know. That was, uh, I mean. Boston's had a pretty good spot. I don't know if they're going to start kind of picking some games here and there to sit, you know, sit guys. Um, or if there's something else going on, I don't know. Um, it's kind of funny because in you know, conversations amongst our peace streams folks, I, I think it was maybe a month or two ago, I said, you know, some team is going to, you know, um, make him, I think I said near max offer, you know, can shoot the daylights out of the ball, can defend at the four and the five, and uh, has had a reputation of being like, you know, one of the premium teammates, team guys in the league. Um, but maybe there's something weird going on there. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I, it, it does seem weird. Uh, didn't seem particularly invested in warmups last night. Maybe he knew he was told that he wasn't going to play unless something weird be. happened or an injury. Yep. But boy, whew, that's just... Just odd. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it does it's hard seem to like know. His role has been sort of diminished lately. Not just the the DNP CD last night, but uh, you know some some lower minutes games in, in recent times. And I don't know if there's some bitterness going into free agency about. I don't know. He he seemed like a person who uh, uh, not not quite Isaiah Thomas of ten years ago, but he kind of you know, put his body on the line, not knowing his future contract status. And yep. now his future contract status is still up in the air, even though that he did that in the last postseason. So I don't know. He was absolutely critical to everything they did in the postseason last year. Um, and then to me, the fact that they play Robert Williams as a weak side rim protector, they, you know, tend to put him on whoever's lined up in the weak side corner and let him come over and help, which, which is a great role for him. Yeah. But it's like he can't spend his whole career doing that. But last year, like what Grant did playing basically center, right? You know, you know, for those minutes, I mean, set them up to simplify, you know, Williams's role, the other Williams's role, um, to be exactly like what allowed him to be featured, you know, to his strengths completely. So, you know, it's it's strange to me. I don't it's like is Muscala kind of getting some get, getting a look, and that's kind of eating into Grant's minutes, you know, um, you know, I know Muscala's playing some is, you know, is Gallo going to be back anytime soon? You know, it's going to, it could get a little crowded there and yeah. uh, anybody, any player in the NBA, regardless of, you know, their track record of being a great teammate or, you know, or something else um, when they're approaching a, a kind of a contract window, which is really important to them, you know, universally important to them to get the opportunities they need to show what they can do, I think. Fair enough. Uh, 
before we leave the Celtics entirely here, uh, an, another question that I would put out there, uh, I think the sentiment is pretty widespread that, you know, if you look at the Hawks potentially coming out of the play-in and trying to match up with a playoff opponent, seems like Boston, in terms of, you know, wins and losses, would, would be a terrible matchup for the Hawks. And I guess it's kind of a two-part question, but but maybe for the first part, you know, should the Hawks want the Celtics? And, and I would say this, I'm not looking at it from wins and losses. I'm looking at it from, okay, the Hawks have picked Quinn Snyder. They've put him in with 20 games left in the season. And they've said, hey, you know, get your feet wet, make relationships with the players, start to implement your system, you know, start to roll it over towards the things that you like. Does he want reps against a team like Boston? Like would that, would those be important uh, minutes and experiences, even if it's less likely that they could win that series or, you know, should they want a playoff series against somebody else? Like I'm sort of of the opinion that, if there's something they need to improve upon, it's playing a team like Boston. But I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, for so when I look at that, um, yeah, I think, you know, Boston's uh, sort of their week, week. It's kind of funny because I was watching Brooklyn play Denver today, and then I happened to leave the TV on and, um, you know, the postgame, uh, you know, um, media availability came on and, and Jacques was talking about how, they have to offset their rebounding issues by building up productivity in other areas. And he just you know, addressed it head on. And with Boston, that's the thing too, you know, it's kind of funny when I was thinking, when I was watching them close the Hawks close of the small lineup last night with JC at the five, um, I was like, is the thing to do just to put like your, uh, your the biggest possible, get, like, could you put like Jane at three, Jalen at three, you know, JC at four, Clint at five and, and just try to kill them on the boards as a, as a way to come back, you know, especially since, you know, second night of a back-to-back that not too many guys looked like they had their legs, you know, so I don't know how reliable the three-point shooting would be as a mechanism to try to come back, but um, you know, they, they have some things that can, can be problematic, you know, for, for Boston. I think the thing that would rear its head again, tremendously, what we saw last night was just the, the Hawks, you know, were terrible at the point of attack. Um, you know, they weren't good kind of, you know, in the two-man game kind of handling ball screens and staying organized and connected and all that sort of stuff. Now, how much of that was back-to-back versus their strengths, their, their lack of strength we've seen all year there? Um, but uh, if you want to get, you know, Boston to a pick-and-roll kind of game, that's that, I mean, they play through, you know, Tatum and Brown a lot who aren't, you know, picking pick their forte isn't pick-and-roll, you know. Marcus Smart can run the heck out of the pick and roll, no doubt about that. Um, and White's a reliable guy in that action too. But if you want to, if you want to be like, hey, you know, run your offense through Marcus Smart and Derek White, <laughs> be my guess, you know. So it is an interesting, it is an interesting kind kind of matchup. I think with where Embiid is now, Philly might be a, a tougher one. Um, even though the Hawks have kind of, you know good depth at center. I still think Embiid's just kind of almost impossible to kind of deal with right now. Uh, I, I think the Sixers going into the playoffs is going to be more of, do they beat themselves? You know, that's what I'm watching for anyway. And then if Milwaukee's at full strength there. 
they're tough, even though the Hawks gave them a good push, a decent push, you know, two years ago with the conference final. So I don't see a matchup that makes me think like, oh, the you know, the Hawks have a real <laughs> shot, you know, right. uh, unless you know, the, the normal caveats, trade gets on a real, you know, burner, you know, they make all their threes. Uh, you know, bogey's feeling good, you know, whatever it is, you know. Um, so I for me, I, I, are you eyeing? Or is there a team up there you're eyeing? Is like, hey, that's the one I think the Hawks could maybe, you know, do something with versus the others. Because I, I look at them and I'm like, I see their point of attack defense being an issue across the board, um, no matter who who they draw in those top three. Yeah, that's that's perfectly fair. I, I'm I just. It just seems like some of their least competitive games this season have been against Boston. Last night was competitive, and you know, even with the Hawks sort of maximizing a lot of their efficiency in terms of you know, they got really good looks from two, they uh, didn't turn the ball over a lot. Uh, you know, they, they played a pretty clean game, and and you know, just played from behind the whole game. It felt like so. I don't know. Could make perimeter shots really, and with then. That. Couldn't make perimeter shots. Yeah, they couldn't make um, perimeter shots. But fed Boston's transition. You know, it, it wasn't so much that they did it at a time, but it was like all of Boston's transition points were like all at the exact wrong time. Like the Hawks would get it to <laughs> six, you know, and then they, you know, they lose a possession and the easy score run. So it's just like terrible timing. But you know, for me, kind of, if I take a big step back, I think about, you know, basically, I think I think the Hawks have had two back to backs since Quinn took over. First one was Miami, um, and they were – I forget where they were traveling from for that first game uh, in Miami. Um, and then this one – yeah. They had a home yeah. game, and then they went to Miami for the second half of the back-to-back. Right. And and both went pretty poorly in terms of, like, in, from an execution standpoint. You know, they – I mean, my – but here's the thing. Like, Miami – the thing, the things Miami does, they've been doing forever – and this group, they the group they have has been together for a while. So Quinn catching that game first, you know, first week or so kind of into his tenure. Um, you kind of understand new coach, weird time of the season to have a new coach, you know, not really getting something specific maybe installed for that game. And then this game was kind of the same. It looked, they looked like they were kind of lost for the, you know, the first half. Made some made a few you know, helpful adjustments in the second half, but still didn't execute very well. Um, and so, you know, to me, I kind of chalked that Miami loss and this loss, and even in both games, they 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 kept fighting, which I think is encouraging, you know. Um, but they, but you saw like you've seen other games where they went in with a specific, like the Portland game where they had a very maybe that was the one that they played before they went to Miami, um, the Portland game where they had a very specific plan, you know, um, and uh, the second Washington game where they had a very specific plan. Uh, you know, it, it came out and did something very a, a number of specific things, where the Miami back to back and the Boston back to back, it was more of um, they looked like a team that didn't have a chance to kind of maybe put specific scheme stuff in. That's the way it looked to me. Uh, should we be worried about Clint Capella? Uh, maybe a little, because we spent all last yeah. season. You know, I, I think it was fair to say, like, you know, a lot of things went right for the Hawks. But, you know, compared to the season before, it's like, well, they don't have the, you know, the 
spring of 2021 Clint Capella. You know, really? getting 13, 14 rebounds a game. You know, since he's been hurt, you know, his rebounds have gone from 11.9 a game to 10.2. Uh, you know, his, his blocks are down. Just sort of all-around defensive efficiency when he's out there is, is uh, I don't know what you want to call it, down. Like, the, the points are up. The efficiency's down. Um, and just, he's a gamer. He's so smart. I think we've sort of come up with, before and the matchup with Boston I think is one that's going to make him look uh a little more awkward than usual but I'm just it doesn't seem like he's the same player in space you know that that thing that makes him special like you you could have a traditional big but you know if you need to put him in a switch with a minute left in the game you know when he's fully healthy that's that's a good thing like he could handle that a lot of the time and it just seems like you know, last night, especially in that in that Boston game where he's operating in space a lot, he he just doesn't seem to have the the same juice that he's had at the at the peak moments of his career. Yeah, calves are tricky, you know for sure. I, I remember at one point I had a calf injury, and it was one of those was like every time I thought I was clear, like I would you know ramp it back up and then realize like you know and then the same thing would happen again. So that's tricky. And I would I would say a little bit to of the same thing for JC. JC still doesn't look quite right to me. The running and the jumping is, you know, I don't know, just my read, like I don't eighty percent normal or whatever. Um, but in addition to that, like JC hasn't been the same impactful defender he was, say, say the first half of the season for the last month. Um, but I, but I, I think part of that is scheme. I think that. The Hawks coaching staff, even before Quinn came in, and it's it looks to me like it's continued after that they want to tell their point of attack defenders that they can't rely on Clint and JC to bail them out of the rim all the time. And you know, the first, you know, all the games, it feels like all the games they won in the first half of the season or so absolutely relied on Clint and JC cleaning up, you know, behind behind the defense, you know. And and I and I feel like they're at the point now where it's like they're saying we're not going to rely on that. You know, we're going to hold ourselves accountable for each defender doing his job and, and not kind of, um, you know, have Clinton JC be so heavily like tilted towards the paint all the time. Uh, and then if you kind of look, you know, at some of the trade-offs there, they, they've done a little better depending on the three point line, not pulling in so much. Um, last night was an exception to that, <laughs> obviously. Uh, and the Miami game, Miami had a game where they shot the ball pretty well too. But, but I, I think there's some scheme stuff, and I and I would, and I think like, you know, there's that's a fundamental question they have to kind of wrestle with once the season is over, is because that's what that, that's Clinton John's primary value. You know, I talked about kind of Robert Williams needing to do more now. Clint and 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 JC both organized really well. They're good team defenders, good help defenders. Their timing is great, et cetera. Um, but you know, the Hawks went through a stretch, you know, in the in say the February across February, where it felt like the Bigs were in foul trouble all the time, and that may have been the one reason that they kind of went back and said we can't have our Bigs just bailing out possession after possession after possession because they're already in foul trouble all the time. Especially you know, Clint was down, and JC missed some games, and they were short. You know, they didn't have their full you know, complement of players back there. 
So part of that could have been foul trouble. Part of that could have been trying to elevate the accountability around the perimeter defenders. Um, that's just the way it looks to me. Uh, but I, but I think part of it is, you know, something physical there. Clint's is Clint's physical status looks um, more off to me than JC's, even though JC looks a little off to me. But like I said, there's a lot of scheme stuff I see too that I think is causing Clint and JC's impact to be different than it was earlier in the year, in my view. What do you want to talk about about Boston? And I'll put one potential question out there, but you really can take this wherever you want, you know, sort of recapping that that game against Boston. But um, when when a new coach like Quinn comes in and, you know, he's trying to get into a system and things like that, do, do you get the sense that there are situations where maybe it would behoove them to do a little bit more switching and just, you know, get to, you know, some situation where it's just almost everybody switching. And do they, and I guess the question, you know, are there coaches that feel like that's sort of cheating? Like if you just did that, uh, that, you know, somehow you're not really implementing a system and, you know, you're, you're going to lose some advantages here and there and other places that, and you know, again, with Boston, they were they were playing five out so much that I don't know. It's it's just a a setup that seemed like uh, we sort of destined to fail last night. But I, that's not even a question. I don't even know. Just like I guess maybe start with the switching is cheating kind of uh, idea. And and you know, what did the Hawks do? What did the Hawks do wrong? What did the Hawks do right? What did you see, especially on the defensive end from from Atlanta last night? Yeah, well, I think there are coaches who think switching. I think the weird word they would use that I've heard before is lazy. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but I mean, depending on your personnel, you know, I mean, like the Warriors across the years have done a lot, you know, with switching, and and I think their model probably is informative for us around what the Hawks model could look like and has looked like at times this year, you know, where the Warriors switch everybody except Steph. Um, and Steph shows and clears. And that's what we've seen Trey do a lot, even when all the other four defenders are switching there. Um, you know, I, I can, it's been a kind of a journey for the Hawks. LP, like, he wanted his team, even though they were really young, to be able to run anything any night. And I thought that was a tall ask for a young team. They'd go from, you know, drop coverage, chasing over the screen one game, the next game they're switching and Alex Lynn is on the bench and not playing because they're switching to the next game, getting into and out of three different schemes across the game, depending upon who's on the court for the team. And I, and, you know, and I think that was what LP was trying to kind of build up with the team. But for, for me, when I look back, I'm like, that's probably too much all at once. Nate took over, and it's like, man, we're protecting the paint at all costs, you know, and not so much switching switching there. Um, you know, we saw the best example of, I think, what Nate likes his defense to do in that playoff run, where, like, they were, you know, doubling baseline side on Julius Randle. They were, you know, showing um, threatening help to Embiid. But letting mostly like Clint take him on one on one, and they they you know, think back to the way the Sonics played all these years ago. A lot of the listeners probably 
you know, too young for that. But it was, I mean, those guys, to That's a man, the they, they took their defense. They owned their defensive responsibility as an individual, you know, and and that that always to be kind of showed up and what they wanted. Now this year, you know, with Longabardi, they we saw more of the red scheme, and I know that the red term terminology is can be confusing because under LP it was like okay we're switching one through four selectively um you know and you'll also hear um it's like a player say after a game on light late position like we were all reds I think like Dejounte said that at one yeah. point reds means we're switching everything typically red when you hear red 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 you know on the floor from the big that usually that usually means a one through four one through four switching. But for me, like the thing about last night where the Hawks maybe could have gone to switching was like Boston was forcing switches, even though the Hawks weren't in a switching defense. Um part of that was like their lack of assertiveness around off ball screens and ball screens and just letting a ball handler get right to the space that they want. And then all of a sudden you've got like you know, Trey on his heels, you know, dealing with ball handler, you know, going straight at the rim right down the middle of the paint, you know. And so what happened last night was they, they were switching, but it was like the offense forcing them into switches because they were just being so aggressive and the Hawks were late on everything. Um, but for me, a lot of that comes down to after this year is do we continue to see a Capella and a Kongu? I think a Kongu is like you could switch a, a whole lot with him. You know, to your point earlier, Clint can do it too when he's 100%. Um, but, you know, every year he gets a little older and a little bit more, you know, um, you know, a few more miles on the tread and all that sort of stuff, you know. So for me, like their roster construction almost has to derive from, um, you know, what they want to run on defense. And, you know, I, and I think everyone thinks O'Quinn oh, likes to drop because he had Rudy, but he had Rudy. You know, Rudy is a, a historically great, you know, center. Um, that and because he had Rudy, it's like I don't think that we know that like O'Quinn really believes in the drop, right? You know, you know. Um, so I think I think we're gonna I think, I think we're gonna see. You know, I, I I wanted to ask you like, do you think they should have closed with a Congo at five instead of JC? Do you I think mean, Quinn I, would just want to, to amend the my tweet? Or? <laughs> Yeah, I I was expecting it. Like I, I figured, Bay was coming at the four because they were playing from behind. They needed the shooting. Right. Boston was already small, and you know, so I was expecting that. And I was I was kind of expecting a Kongwu just because, you know, rebounding defense. Like I just I, I didn't think you needed but necessarily five shooters, and obviously it hasn't been John's finest season shooting. So I just, yeah, I was expecting a Kongwu, um, but I wasn't all, I was, as soon as I clicked send on the tweet, I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to fix that. And then I watched and he came <laughs> in and was like, yeah, okay, I got to fix that. Cause I was expecting a Kongwu, but you know, just for like two seconds, like, oh yeah, John's an option here too. But yeah, it was definitely not going to be Clint. Uh, it, 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 they were just stretched too thin. They needed more offense and. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I, I went back and did a rewatch this morning. I, I couldn't rewatch the whole game. It was just too painful. But <laughs> and like Akagu was their best defender by miles last night. I like believe it. on the rewatch, he was even better. He was he was good uh, individually. Um, he was up. You know, he was in, 
ready to close out. He's ready to switch and help as a close, you know, and so, but that's why in my mind, like, obviously I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for Quinn for sure, but it just kind of felt like Quinn was like, I want to see what we have here, you know, with JC at the five, you know, right. You know, and um, see if the ball moves, you know, if the ball moves, if, you know, create some lanes, some lanes for JC to attack. Um, Boston playing fairly small lineups, you know, especially with Robert Williams out. Um, and, I, and I felt like it was just like, kind of like, let's just see what we have. You know, it's the way it felt to me. It, it, Quinn said something interesting about a Kongwu. Like, I, I think he was sort of disappointed in what he got from a Kongwu in the first half of that Washington game. He said something about, you know, kind of giving him – he, he couched it very smoothly. So it was like, wait, did he really say what I think he just said? But he basically said something to the effect of, you know, I, I had to pull on Yeka. You know, I don't think he was giving us enough. And I said something, you know, I said something to the effect of, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll watch film together and, and go over it and see if that's really the case. So, you yeah. know, I think he'd been a little bit shortchanged in, in the, you know, the second Washington game just because Quinn didn't like what he was seeing. And so, uh, you know, with that and the back to back and Boston being a better fit for him, I, yeah, I was certainly expecting him to be the, really the best performing center uh, af- after, you know, being a little bit of a disappointment the previous night. Yeah. I, I mean, I could see that Washington game because they kept kind of going back and forth between Clint's on Gafford and Clint's on KP. And then, you know, and they kind of went back and forth and maybe that was something that the Congo wasn't quite as ready for, you know, I mean, Clint's been through everything, you know, Clint's seen everything, but has to do everything. And they were getting in and out of different alignments across those, you know, the, the bigs in Washington. And Gafford's, I, I love Gafford. He's really physical. He's so much of a better passer than he was a few years ago. I'm just really impressed with his improved passing ability and yeah. his cut down on his fouls. Um, so, he, he's he's a handful. But to me, kind of going back and forth between him and KP, and KP's trying to live above the three-point break for the most part, you know. It's a huge, like, those are vastly different styles <laughs> and, you know, and tasks, you know. And so I thought maybe there was something there where Congo was maybe struggling with kind of the back and forth around around that. Uh, we, we got some A.J. Griffin last night. Uh, was oh. that part of your rewatch? Uh, well, I mean, it, I, 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 I mean, I watched him again to kind of see what was going on. He just, he, I mean, it, this morning it looked like, Last night and over them, you know, which is understandable. But the question I was asking myself was like, are we going to see good AJ again at any point this year? You know, uh, I hope so. Uh, he's been an awesome, he's had an awesome year overall, but man, it was rough last night for sure. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. I guess we'll, we'll have to see uh, anything else you want to cover before we get out of this. Well, I just want to like point out that, um, I mean, the improvement the Hawks had from Washington game one to Washington game two. In, in game one, Wizards had a ton of, like, wide-open corner threes. Game two, I think they only got six corner threes, and I think they only made, made two of them. They forced Washington to take three-point shots above the break. Um, in the first game, they Washington ran their offense from the middle of the floor. The whole game would drove me crazy. Right. In uh, game two – they started almost no possessions, like right in the middle of the floor. So the Hawks did a good job kind of pushing them off of their favorite spot. And then on the other side, I mean, I don't watch every Washington game, 
I watch a lot of I watch a lot of games, but I thought that was probably Washington's best defensive game of the year. The Hawks could not get in the paint in that second game, and the Hawks really had to win that game with their defense, and and you know really force KP into I mean, it, it wasn't just like oh KP was missing shots like you know a, a casual kind of watch me. KP was having to get his shots up a lot more quickly, you know, and in the first game he had sort of all day, a couple of shots were like, he had a rhythm dribble before he put his shot up, you know? Uh So, you know, I just think it's noteworthy to me that uh, they came back out in that second game and Washington threw some often awesome defense, especially for a defense that's, I think they're 25th in defensive rating. Uh-huh. They played awesome defense in that game, like start to finish the whole way. Like, I'm just, and they don't have a lot of a ton of great defenders, you know. I mean, you get you're playing Kuzma together with Porzingis, who's not, you know, who's kind of helpful at the rim, but otherwise not super helpful and stuff. And, and I, I'm, I'm just really impressed with what that coaching staff can kind of get out of them at times. Um, but that was an impressive win for the Hawks. I feel like I feel like because the Boston game was disappointing because the Hawks fought and got it close again that. It, we could it'd be easy to just forget like how impressive that win was because Washington that what I mean Washington played one of the best defensive games against the Hawks I've seen all year. If you ask me to rank the top ten opposing defensive performances of the year, that Washington performance would be in the top ten, no doubt about it. They were that good. And um but the Hawks kind of controlled the game in the second half because their defense was um maybe a little better. You know, so that I, I want to see more games. You know, the Hawks play Minnesota tomorrow, and then they get, I think, two days off. And and I just think it's a different experience watching them play under Quinn when there's time to kind of put the plan in place uh, than when, you know, we saw these back-to-back. So I continue to be encouraged overall and, and find the team super interesting. Um, I watched the Nets win in Denver today. I think that was Denver's only sixth loss at home all year. So I, I honestly don't see the Hawks getting above seven. You know, um, man, set playing at home, you know, against eight. And then if you lose, you got, you know, you get two games to win one. It's way better than nine or ten. So they just got to keep, kind of keep pushing and see what happens. Um, but for me, I'm like, I want, I kind of, I don't want to fully like throw away that Miami back to back and then the Boston back to back. But it, watching it was a really different experience than when Quinn has time to work with this new team so that, that's my kind of big takeaway so it's fair to say that this the second half of both of those mini series you know it's encouraging what you what you saw in, in absolutely in twos yep absolutely yeah it just i mean miami like they came out more physical you know and in washington they came out with more more defensive focus on exactly what they had to do to push Washington out of their comfort, comfortable actions and stuff. So let's see what happens with, you know, Minnesota tomorrow night. I I think everyone knows I have connections back to Minnesota. I lived there for almost 12 years. Moved just a couple of years ago out here. A lot, and you lot took of on friends this Glenn there. Willis alias. I know. And you messed up the answer, by the way. It was quote Glenn. Like the quote just Well, I know, but I had to give I have to give both names. They're okay. Both okay. Out. <laughs> okay. Um but yeah, I mean, Washington with Conley. Added to the mix that they're, uh, you know, and you know, Anthony Edwards, and it's kind of funny what Jalen and JC garden ball handlers. Uh, Minnesota uses Kyle Anderson, 
to guard. I mean, Kyle Anderson is probably going to spend some time on trade tomorrow. Yeah. And if you haven't been watching Minnesota, you, that might surprise you, but there's a little bit of a parallel to like Quinn throwing Jalen on the ball handlers and Minnesota's relying on Kyle Anderson and his length and his, you know, um, smarts and all that sort of stuff. So it's going to be a fascinating game. You know, are we going to see Hunter on Edwards and, you know, they're going to see Jalen on him, you know, what that's going to look like and stuff. So it should be a fun game tomorrow. Yeah. And then after that, you know, the most, bizarre and rarest of things that the Hawks are going to have three off days in a row, no game Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Yep. And then, you know, that gives them time to prepare for, you know, what golden state does, which is maybe more unique than any team in the league, but they'll have sort of a multitude of days to get ready for it. Yeah. And you know, who knows, maybe Clint's feeling a little better after three days off, you know, we'll have to see. That would be nice. But yeah, I mean, the Hawks are, you know, Still in position to control, like landing in seven, eight, seven, nine, ten, and you know that's not a, it's not where you want to be, but it's not the worst place to be. So let's keep, uh, you know, see what they can do. It's like a college football team wanting to get into a bowl game so that they get that extra month of practices for next season. The Hawks just have to get to the seven game series just to, you know, get Quinn more reps, get get the team more reps under Quinn. Like that's. That's a good thing. I think it would be very disappointing for them to lose, you know, what losing the plan and just not get to that playoff series because more experience is better. Who do you have? Who do you have in your bracket? <laughs> Winning it. <laughs> I have no bracket. I, I, I'm a I, terrible uh, sports said, fan. I like NBA. Has, I like tennis. Yeah, I yeah, I, I I watch very little college basketball during the college basketball season. But my wife is a Kennesaw State alum, so I have them winning it all. I can't wait to to shock the world with my bracket. I might actually watch that. Yeah, I, I would be interesting to see their game. So, yeah. It's I'll, fun. I'll just, I just don't know what to expect. <laughs> yep. All right, Glenn. Appreciate you, and we'll do it Thanks, again Kevin. soon. Thanks. Absolutely. Bye.